0: Let's turn again to the book of 1 John. We have two more sermons, well, three counting Christmas Eve. We're going to look at a passage there. But as we go through the book, we're looking today at verses 1 through 12. And then next week, uh, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 21 and our last uh, service of 2021. And then in 2022, on January 2nd, we'll be looking at the, the marvelous works of Jesus from the book of Luke, and we'll be doing that throughout the winter and spring. So, uh, but today we're going to look at First uh, John five one through twelve. And let me just say this before we read it together: um, I'm gonna. There's a lot of stuff in this passage. These paragraphs are are very dense. They're very thick, and um, yet, uh, really, what what all I'm saying to you here is in this passage, and I think the Lord is teaching us. Is the, the, the amazing value of faith, of faith in Jesus Christ, that it is that which overcomes the world, that's wh- that which gives us life, and that really, in, in terms of our own growth as people, what we need more than anything else is to grow in faith, which means that we see God bigger. We see Christ and His reign, we see Him more, we see uh, the Holy Spirit. And that that transforms the way we look at everything. We know we, we get so focused on the people and the things and the events and the, and the problems around us. But we just need to see the Lord. And we need to see his word, what his testimony is, what he has said. So that's the short sermon. Now I'm going to give you the long one after I read the First John 5, 1 through 12. But that's the key takeaway. And I want you to see that. So don't get lost in some of these details. But let's hear the word of God. ...that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh. oh, Lord, our great, glorious God and King, the one who's made all things, governs all things, who's redeeming a people for yourself, who's making a new world, we come before you as the everlasting God. We thank you that we can come before you in confidence because Jesus Christ has come and he's cleared the way so we can come to you with confidence. And Even if we sin, we have a, an advocate. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are this for us. That you have died for our sins and that you are interceding at the right hand of the Father, O Lord. So it's in you that we come. And O Holy Spirit, we praise you that you are our teacher, that you lead us, that you are here with us, that you testify to us that we are the children of God and that you are speaking to us through your word. So Lord, we pray that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would do more than what my words can do, or our hearing can do, but that you would speak to us, that you would be present with us today, that you would strengthen our faith, and that you would enable us to see more clearly than ever before, that you are God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that through you, we alone, we have salvation, and hope, and life, and fellowship with God and man. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is the need for faith. And as as you think about that, I want you to think about the problem of death. You know, death is something that we often don't want to talk about. It's something that we kind of put off into into, uh, little places. We don't have to think about it. We want to look young. Uh, The cemeteries are somewhat hidden. We have a lot of commercials. If you watch TV during this time, you'll see a lot of commercials about retirement. You won't see many commercials about what happens after retirement. We don't think that much about death, but the Bible comes and gives us a message in the context of death. And we all know that it exists. It's not something that we can avoid and it's something that we should think about because this world, in many ways, is a tomb. This is the place where people die and the dead are buried. And when you think about it, we've lost a lot of people close to us this year. Uh, Kelsey just lost her grandfather this past week. I lost a grandmother last month. Jackie Bain lost her grandfather. Diane lost her husband, Bobby. Deb Bain lost her husband, Steve. And we lost an elder and leader in our, our church. Paige Elizabeth lost her, her uncle. Lisa Supley lost her father and her uncles. Penny Reader lost her mother. This is, and if I've forgotten someone... Um, that from here, please forgive me. I've tried to think through everybody, but I'm sure I probably forgot some because there's people we're connected to. Death is a part of life. And this world is a tomb. Now, what the Bible teaches us about death is that physical death flows from our spiritual death. That is our the the separation or rupture in the relationship that we have with God. And this spiritual death then causes... Uh, a sort of, as a death of our relationship with others. And sometimes it causes physical death, like it did in the case of Cain and Abel, where we actually will kill one another. Death describes the failure of human beings to achieve the joyful fellowship with God and man that God intended to ha- for us to have forever. And so it is physical, and it is in spiritual. Into that world of death, into this world that is a tomb, God the Father sent His Son, who is equally God with the Father from all eternity, to become a human being, and to come into this world of death, and to experience death Himself. And not only did He die physically, but He experienced that separation from God the Father that we experience when we sin, not because He had sinned, but because He took... Our sin upon himself. It was counted as his. And he got what we deserved. And you know that he said this when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the spiritual death that we're talking about. And yet, death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead. He came back to life. He came out of the tomb on that glorious day. 2,000 years ago, and he conquered death, and he brought about new life and new hope. And what that means for us is that when we, it was described for us in 1 John 5, 11 through 12. Listen to what it says. He says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. It's not what we had. It's not what we deserved. But he's given it to us. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So what he's saying is by receiving the Son of God, we have life. And how do we receive him? Through faith. Through faith. Faith is that which brings life. And what what is faith? Faith is, faith is accepting something about another. It's like trust. Trust is not something we do for someone else. It's confidence we have that someone else will do something for us. And sometimes it refers to things people say, putting confidence in their words. So, for example, in 1 John 5, verse 10, it says, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. So to accept that testimony is to put faith in what God has said. That is, the mess- that is what faith is. So when we believe in Jesus, we say yes to what God says about him, and we accept that that is true such that we need that Savior who's come into the world and become a human being for us. We are saying that Jesus can do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. That is the power of faith. We are... Under the sentence of death, but if we believe in Jesus, then we no longer are under that sentence. We no longer have that condemnation. Instead, we have eternal life. That is the glorious work of faith. But remember, it's not because faith is so great. It's the Christ in the faith that makes it so powerful. Not faith itself as a virtue. It is the Christ in the faith that saves. But faith is necessary. Now, someone might ask, if we have this life and this glorious explanation of life, eternal life, then why do we have to die? Well, I think God might have done things differently, but for the Christian, we should think of physical death uh, in terms of a, a liberation. You see that when God, when someone receives Christ, they are freed from the dominion of sin. They're freed from the power of the devil. But when they die, they are freed from the presence of sin. When they believe in Jesus, they're freed from the dominion. When they die physically, they're they're freed from the presence of sin. But that's not the end. What is also going to happen is one day, Jesus is going to come back. Just as he came the first time, after all those promises, so he will come again. After, after a certain amount of time when he, when he, then the time determined by the father and when he does our body, will get our bodies back. There'll be, there's a separation from the soul and the body when we die, but we'll get our bodies back. And listen to this, this is what John says. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So we will have a body like Jesus glorified and wonderful. Now, why do people not believe then in Jesus if they have all this life? Well, one of the challenges that we face is in ourselves. It's also the devil, but it's also the world. And John speaks of that here. Because the world tells us something very different than what this message tells us. The world tells us to put ourselves at the center. The world tells us to focus on the things that you can get, to, the things that you need for your body, for shelter, for... For food, for clothing, and so on, the the world will tell you to focus on all the things that you can do in this life, and we're we're going to be presented to that. You know, I don't I don't think it's bad to give gifts at Christmas. Um, I I gave a gift at Christmas time once; it was a really good experience. No, I'm just kidding. I, I give them every year. <laughs> So, no, um, but it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a good thing, and we can interpret it in a good way as, you know, God gives gifts to us, we give gifts to others, and so on. But on the, on the other hand, there's also this side of this that's kind of like, it's like, just think about all the things that you, you want to have, right? And even like Thanksgiving, it's about to be thankful what we have, and then like by midday in Thanksgiving, we start talking about, well, what are all the things we want for Christmas, which is kind of exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing at Thanksgiving, but whatever, so, But the point, the point is that that's where the, what we have in the world. In, in this country, we have an abundance where we can we have extra money, we can do all kinds of things, and that's what the world tells us to focus on. That's the power of the world. It's telling us, don't think about God, not maybe explicitly, but implicitly, telling us to focus on this life, on the things that we're doing, and so on. It's what John calls the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And see First John 2, 15 through 17 on that. So how do we overcome this power? How do we step out of that which would tell us to focus only on this world? It's our faith. Listen to what it says. 1 John 5, 4b through 5. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So when we see all the things we're concerned about in the world, how do we step out of that? How do we get victory over it? We see God and we trust in him and we make him recognize him as the one in whom we have life. How do we overcome the world through faith? The world's attacking us. If we feel the weight of it, then what we need is more faith. Faith sets things back right. It says that our life is found not in the things that are created first and foremost, though they're good, but in the Creator, in our Father in heaven. It says that in Him we have life. It says in Him we have hope. He is the one we love above everything. Faith leads us to love as we'll see. And it puts value back where it's supposed to be. And in that way, faith overcomes the world and restores us to that joyful fellowship with God and man that God wants us to have. And that's what we're going to see in our next point, which is the life of faith. So we're going back to the beginning of this passage. And what it tells us is that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so the first thing I want you to see about the life of faith is that the life of faith is a supernatural life. It's not one that we procured for ourselves. We are born of God. In in the Old Testament, there is the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Abraham and Sarah had passed the years that would enable them to have a child. But God did something that made everybody laugh. The old woman had a child. Because Isaac means laughter, by the way. And so he was born supernaturally. But what I want you to see is anyone who believes in Jesus is an Isaac They are born of God. It is a supernatural birth. Those who are dead in their sins have come back to life. So what happens when God gives them life? Then they start to believe in Jesus. They can hear the word, but it's like speaking to dry bones unless God says live. And then the dry bones come back to life and they start to follow the command of their master they believe in his commands that's what it says the one who is born of god believes in jesus so it's a supernatural life but what happens when they believe in jesus then they start to love god and the children of god listen to what it says the second part of verse 1 it says everyone who loves the father loves his child as well and this is how we know we love the children of god by loving god and carrying out his commands So he says that the result of believing in Jesus is love. And and so think about this. If you say that I have no life, I have no hope, and I put my trust completely in the Father through the Son and through the Spirit to give me life that I wouldn't have otherwise and that they want to give me, how could you not love such a person? So the more faith you have, the more you're going to love the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and you're also going to love the children of the Father. Those who are born of God will love all those who are born of God. That's what he's saying, love his children as well. And we can see this in our, in our normal life, right? Oftentimes when you build a friendship with someone, you're, you're, you're going to be, feel con, a connection with their children, right? And you're going to want to know about them because it's kind of an extension of them. They share the image. And it's it's sometimes amazing if you haven't you've talked to someone you see their kids and then it's like oh it's like a a, a little version of of my friend here and that's kind of what it is when we believe in Jesus that we be, and are made children of God and so now what John normally says <clears throat> is that if we love God then we will love his children as well and he he says this here and he makes that point throughout throughout this letter. But it's interesting, he also says the reverse. If you look at what he says in two, he says, normally, well, let me just say this again, in a slightly different way. Normally he says, how do we know that we love God by, by loving his people, you know? But here he says, how do we know we love people? <laughs> how do we know we really love people? By loving God. And so his point is that, that there, there's a communion that involves heaven and earth of, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and his children. And so if we love either one, we can't we can't because we can't love one without the other, that we can see our love for the children of God, and we can see our love for the Father, and we can infer the one from the other. So that if we love truly love God, we're going to love his people, and we truly love his people, then we know we love then we know love we love God. And if either one is lacking, then both are lacking. It's a package deal. And so that we need to understand. The vertical and horizontal are connected in such a way That you can infer the one from the other. Now, he goes on to say something else that happens in this new life of faith. What happens when we love God? Well, look at verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. To keep his commands. To do what he says. Now, sometimes you'll read the Bible, and the Bible speaks of the law in a somewhat negative way. And it's very important to see that when the Bible speaks of the law in a negative way, it's not because the law is bad. It's because we are bad. Because the law can't give us life. Because we can't keep it. Because we're sinful. Because it doesn't give us hope for justification. Because the law says, if you're going to be justified before God, you have to do what it says, and that's how you have life. But we haven't done that. So we have no hope in the law to gain life and justification. However once we have that life and, and justification through Jesus Christ, then we have a whole different relationship to the law. At that point, then the, what the law tells us, that's what we want to do. Because we love God. If God says we, we love we love God, then we should do what he says. And we will do what he says. If we trust God, then we'll obey him. You know, the problem we have with, we, we have a problem, first of all, that we have an excessive we do have an excessive sense of our own desires and our own things that we want to do, which leads us often to be rebellious. So even things where the people command us legitimately, that we have a sense that we want to say no to that. So as soon as someone says no, then we say, like, I want to do that, show that I can do it. So there's, there's a problem there. But there's also a problem in that sometimes people tell us to do things that, is act, that are actually going to harm us, right, that aren't good for us. And and that also leads us to say that's why we don't want to just do what any other people say. We don't have confidence. We don't have trust. We don't have faith in them that what they're telling us is good and right. But when it comes to God, everything he tells us is right. So we should never have any hesitancy to do what he says. In fact, human beings are made to obey God. There's nothing more natural to humans as created. And notice I didn't say as fallen. As fallen, we do the opposite. But as created to obey God. We're, we're made by Him. We're made to serve Him. We're made to love Him. We're made to obey, obey Him. That's, that's what's natural to us. It's the destruction of that through sin that leads us in the opposite direction. So when God tells us to do something, our, our natural inclination is God created us as God created Adam would just be to say, yes, we'll do it, and that's good, and we're happy to do it. The angels in heaven, when God says do something, they're like, bam, I'm doing it. No problem. They don't, they don't hesitate. They don't wonder about it. They don't think about it. They don't have to struggle with it. It's instantaneous. And they love it. <laughs> they love it. They, there's nothing they want more than to, for God to tell them to do something, and they do it. And that's how it should be with us. And that's what God is actually doing in us. He's changing us. That's the life of faith. It restores that proper relationship between God and man. And in that way, we see that God's commands are not burdensome. They may feel burdensome at times, but that's the weight and heaviness of sin leading us in the long direction. The more we are like the angels of heaven, doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, the more we'll have joy in doing God's commandments and we'll say, "This is good. Lord, command what you will." But then in this life, we also have to say give what you command because we need his help. We need his aid. So how do we get the strength to obey? Through faith. It's a greater sight of God and faith in him that leads us to love him and wants to do what he says. So let's talk about how we do that. So if we're going to become more the people we're meant to be that are believing in God, that are, that are loving our brothers and sisters, that are loving him and walking in the ways of his commands then we need greater faith. And that's what John talks about here. And he, he wants to teach us how we can strengthen our faith so we can become more of those, the people that he wants us to be and enjoy that joyful fellowship, that fellowship of peace between God and man that he wants to have for us and that he created us to experience. So let me just say, in short, we increase our faith by thinking more about the things of God And saying yes to them more vehemently. So we think about what God says. And we say yes, yes, yes. That's how we increase our faith. And we don't do it just once. We do it every day. Many times a day. Over and over again. And that's how our faith is strengthened. But we should see that this is not just a matter of us doing that. That's our part. But it is the work of the triune God... To increase faith in us. And here you'll see. In verses 6 through 10. That John speaks of the Father. He speaks of the Son. And he speaks of the Holy Spirit. So he speaks here of the testimony of the Father. 1 John 5, 9 through 10. He says we accept human testimony. But God's testimony is greater. Because it is the testimony of God. Which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God. Accepts this testimony. Now. The Father has given us many testimonies about the Son, but we can also think of the time at Jesus' baptism and the time at his transfiguration when he was made to shine like the sun. That the Father came and he spoke. He said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And in that way, that's what they, he was teaching them. Say yes to my Son, say yes to what he says. Hear what he says. And that's the testimony of the Father. And in that way, we say yes to the testimony of the Father. He speaks here of the testimony of the Son. That's a little bit... The the way he describes it is kind of interesting. He says, this is verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And people might be reading that and say, What in the world is he talking about? Well, and, and I will tell you, reading various commentaries on this, a lot of people said... We're not sure what this is, exactly what this is saying. But the thing that makes most sense to me is that it refers to primarily pointing to Jesus' testimony at the beginning of his life and, or in, at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. In the beginning of his ministry, he went and he was baptized by John the Baptist. And there he, he showed his solidarity with his people. And there he, he gave, the testimony was given that he is the Son of God There was the presence of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he showed that this is the beginning of his ministry by the giving of the Spirit. And then the blood, of course, most likely refers to his blood shed on the cross. That through this blood, we have a testimony that our sins are forgiven. That what was due to us was put upon him. And as John says it now, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so in that way, he testifies to the water and the blood. But then John also speaks of the testimony of the Spirit, who he says, is the truth. In 1 John 5, verses uh, 6-8, and he says, it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. And so, now here again, we have kind of, well, what does he mean, the Spirit, the water, and the blood? Well, it seems to me to make most sense to me to refer the water to our baptism and then the blood to, to a reference to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper because these testimonies are given as a way to strengthen our faith. It's uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper are not primarily about our testimony to our, of our faith in God. They're primarily about God's saying to us, yes, you who believe I, and, and your children, in the case of baptism, you are, I really accept you. I really accept you. He's saying to you, you are the people of God. He's confirming their faith. And so that's the purpose of baptism in the Lord's Supper. And we should use them to that end. That we should think about them and their meaning. That when we see a baptism or we see something reminds us of baptism, we should, as our larger catechism says, improve our baptism. Meaning that we make use of it. And in the Lord's Supper, that we should think about it. We shouldn't just come here not having thought about it. We should pray about it. We should meditate during it, and we should think about it after as the testimony of God to us. And what it says here is that it's not just the water and the blood, it's not just the outward things, but it's the Holy Spirit. And as we think about those things, the Holy Spirit assures us of eternal life and will build us up in faith. So as we use all these things, we recognize this is a supernatural work. But we enter into it with our minds and hearts, anticipating the work of God in our lives. So we have powerful help to increase our faith. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have given us ample resources to lead us in the right direction. So we should lean into them with all we have because the way of faith is the way of life and it is the way of victory. So let me just conclude by just making a few points to kind of try to apply this and bring it down to your life. So what should you see from this sermon? What should you take away? You should see that the power of what? Say, faith. One person got it. I'm thankful for that. So now I think I heard a couple of people back there. The power of what? Faith. 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 All right. That's the main point, right? We got to say: Are we discouraged? Are we struggling? We need more faith. We need to be like Mary, who took all these things and pondered them in her hearts. And that's what leads to joyful fellowship with God and man. So what do we need in every situation? You know, we're often thinking about, when we think about the various situations of our life, we're just like, what what should I do? What's the strategy? Or we just let it roll around in our heads. But what we need is to see the Lord. We need a greater sight of God. We need greater faith. When we struggle with our finances, we need a greater sight of God, our provider, and faith in Him. When we struggle with loneliness, we need a greater sight of God and faith in Him. When we struggle with finding meaning in life, when we need a greater sight of God and faith in Him. When we struggle with other people in our family, workplace, or schools, what do we need? To not just see the people, we need a greater sight of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and faith in the triune God. When we see our bodies failing in the presence of death there, what do we need? We need greater faith and a sight of God. When we struggle with sin We need a greater sight of God and faith in him. That's what we need in every time and every place to increase our faith. That is what we need. We may think we need a lot of things. But what we need is to see better the things that God has for us. So the prayer in all times and all places of every Christian should be what it was of the disciples who said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. And on our part, we should do what we can to take those things in that increase our faith. The Word, the sacraments, prayer, dependent on the Spirit. And the result, as we see that faith grow in us, will be that we will see this new life coming to fruition in us. We will see victory over the world. We'll see greater power to live in accordance with what God has made us live, we'll see greater power to love. We will see that the world will not be defeating us because our faith will receive from God that which we need to overcome. So remember, wherever you are today, whatever your discouragement is, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So may it be. Amen.